Job chapter 12. That's gone. Everyone hear me okay? Yes? All right, up the back. Everybody hear me? Far side? Good. Outside? Super. Brilliant job, Matt. Bless you, my child. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. We're just going to read a couple of verses from Job chapter 12, beginning to read at verse 4. I am as one mocked of his neighbor, who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. The upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is, uh, uh, the he that is, pardon me, ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. The tabernacles of robbers prosper and they that provoke God are secure into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. Let us pray. Father, take this portion of your word and all others that will be read this evening and speak to all of our hearts. We pray, O God, that your spirit would convict us, convince us, and settle us. We pray for the youth, Lord. So many of them go down into the polytunnel to have their own meeting now. We just Thank you for so many in this church. We pray that you would speak to every heart, to every one of them, Lord. May they be challenged and encouraged. And we pray as Ian gives his testimony tonight and tells how you rescued him from a life of sin. We pray that they would be able to relate by your spirit speaking to them. I glorify your name in this place. And may Christ be exalted. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Job feels that he's being mocked by the world. In the beginning of the book of Job, it says that Job was a a righteous man. It says that he eschewed evil. In other words, he turned from evil and he wouldn't have anything to do with evil. He sacrificed unto the Lord God Jehovah. And hence the Lord looked upon Job, but yet the devil was allowed to attack him and to afflict him. Job is here, and what he's saying is, in our reading, I am one who is mocked of his neighbor. In other words, where is your God? Where is your God? Does your God even exist? Where is your God? Is he real? Job, look at your life. Look at your family. Look at your home. It's went through so much. Where is your God? Would your God allow this to happen? And the answer is, yes, God did. But God had not left Job. God knew Job and knew the strength he would give to Job. And even though his so-called friends came, they were no help to Job because they didn't understand where Job was with the Lord. I found when I read this, especially verse 4, it jumped at me during the week. How we're mocked and ridiculed by those who say they are atheists or even agnostic or even those who profess to know Jesus profess to be Christian and how we are mocked at them or by them and we're mocked in society we're we're mocked everywhere we go because we believe in what they say and naming God under so many names a furry tale the big man in the sky they irreverently say and things like that and they mock us and this jumped out at me and it says in verse 4 I am one I am as one mocked of his neighbor. Notice who calleth upon God. What's the use in praying? What's the use in you praying when God hasn't answered things the way you wanted them 
to be answered. What's the use in you believing in a God you cannot see? And hence they turned to every one of us and at some place, point in time in our walk with the Lord, they try not only to mock us, but they try to shame us. Job, and he answereth, the just upright man is laughed to scorn. We are belittled and, as it were, made fools off by the world because we believe and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Job knew what that was like, especially in a time of severe trial when he thought there was no help anymore for him. Then in verse 5, he that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. In other words, the light that you have and have been speaking of the light that you carry of the gospel of saving grace in Christ. And sometimes you're so weak, they think, well, we are sitting at ease. We have everything in order. Our ducks, as it were, are in a row. We follow the science and we are more intellectually secure in the knowledge that we have over you. And the light that you purport to shine is now growing dim and it is diminishing. I'm sure all of us, every one of us, can relate to some degree of how the world is. The very news, the social media, the newspapers, every way from every person, every angle, They come against God and his elect. Brothers and sisters, tonight I want to speak on the topic, the words or the last words, the last words of saints and sinners. The last words of saints and sinners. I want to read to you some of the last words of those who knew Christ before they passed away and how they entered into eternity. And then I want to read also, firstly, we're going to look at those who did not know Christ as their Lord and Savior and their recorded words of how they entered into eternity. How they left this world and this scene of time went into the darkness. Bear with me while I go through some of these. First of all, I know it's the last words of saints and sinners, but we'll look at the sinners first. You know, they tell us today that there is no God. We hear it everywhere. Do you know Psalm 14 and verse 1? And Psalm 53 and verse 1, the two Psalms are basically the same, but they both say in the first and opening verse, the fool... The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So let's look at those who say there is no God or they think they know God to some portion or degree and they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. They don't know the salvation that he brings and they can't understand. They can't understand or get the grips, the Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Listen to these Quotes from different people who were unbelievers before they passed away. First of all, Caesar Borgia. He was the illegitimate love child of Pope Alexander VI. He was an Italian nobleman, a politician, and he became a cardinal. But listen to his last words before he passed into eternity. While he lived, while I lived, I provided for everything but death. Now I must die and I'm unprepared to die from a cardinal. 
He said, I am unprepared. I prepared for so many things in life. But now when I'm coming to this place, point in time, I am unprepared to die. Amos chapter 4 and verse 12 says these words. Prepare to meet thy God. Cardinal Borgia, did you not know that? Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel, is the full term. But prepare to meet thy God. And here's a man in the church, the Roman Catholic Church, who says he was not prepared to meet God. Here's another, Thomas Hobbes, a political philosopher. Listen to the words he said again as he was preparing to leave this scene of time. I quote him, I say again, if I had the whole world at my disposal, I would give it to live one day. I am about to take a leap into the dark. Here a man says, if I had the whole world at my disposal, I would give it for one day more of life. If he should, Lord Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Some years ago, quite a lot of years ago, nearly 20, I think, I went to visit someone in the Mary Curie and he was a believer. But he was quite carnal at times. He wasn't fully in at times and more fully out. He was up and he was down but professed to know the Lord and went to visit this man and this was his words. Pastor, pray the Lord gives me a little while longer. And I said, why? Why would you want a little while longer? He says, for I am about to die and I know that I didn't serve the Christ whom I professed. Please pray for me. Brother, sister, where do you fit into this bracket? Jesus said, for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen to another Thomas Paine, leading atheistic writer, in the American colonies, he wrote the book, The Age of Reason. In other words, the book, the Bible, is just like another book of philosophy. The Bible, uh, it, it isn't revelation of God, but rather reason about God. And at the most, you could be a deist by reading it. In other words, you believe in some sort of a higher being. And it went into print all over. People reading it and being lost for all eternity, being drawn away from Christ. Listen to his words. Stay with me. For God's sake, I cannot bear to be left alone. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will, peop- what will become of me hereafter? I would give the world's If I had them, that the age of reason had never been published. Oh Lord, help me. Christ, help me. And don't leave me. Stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me. For I am on the edge of hell here alone. If ever the devil had an agent... I had been that one, he says. 
says, I'm on the edge of hell. Help me. I must leave Thomas Paine with the Lord for was this true repentance? Only God would know. But you know the Lord Jesus says in Luke 13 and in verse 27 there will be those who come to him and he will say I know you not whence you are. Depart from me all ye workers of iniquity. Verse 28 there shall be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. The words of Christ himself. The words of Christ himself. I'm sure many of us are familiar with Voltaire. The famous, or the infamous maybe, it would be a better rendering, anti-Christian atheist. Listen to his words. His doctor is with him. And he's about to die. I have swallowed nothing but smoke. I have intoxicated myself with the incense that turned my head. I am abandoned by God and man, he said to Dr. Fulton. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months of life. Dr. Fulton said this was not possible. And Voltaire turned and said to Dr. Fulton, then I shall die and go to hell. It's tragic. It's tragic. Then I shall die and go to hell. Voltaire's nurse is reported to say this. For all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die. All night long he cried for forgiveness. Did he find it? I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you this. Everyone thinks at the last moment I will cry and God will forgive or I will cry and that's the end of it after living a life of debauchery and sin and shaking the fist against God and claiming there is no God, being a fool in their own heart. And listen to what it says about Esau in Hebrews 12 and verse 17. It says, He found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now you work that out. I believe in a deathbed repentance. I have to, for some of my family have it. And it's all I have to hang on to. Many people think they'll cry unto the Lord at the last moment when they're dropping into hell. It's too late. It'll be too late. Sir Thomas Scott, the Chancellor of England, said these words Until this moment I never thought I neither thought there were there was a God nor a hell. Now I know and feel that there are both and I am doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. All my life I didn't think there was a God or a hell. But now when I'm in this condition ready to go into eternity I realize I'm on the precipice of hell. I'll be judged by the Almighty. In Hebrews 9 and verse 27 it says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, after this, after this the judgment. It's no purgatory. Purgatory is a lie. Purgatory isn't scriptural. After this, death, the judgment. That's the scriptures. Sir Francis Newport was the head of the English Atheist Club. And he said to those gathered around his deathbed, listen to the words. You need not tell me there is no God. For I know there is one. And that I am in his presence. You need not tell me there is no hell. 
I feel myself already slipping. Wretches, cease from your idle talk about there being no hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Oh, he starts to cry. Oh, that fire. Oh, the insufferable pangs of hell. Oh, that I could lie for a thousand years upon the fire that is never quenched to purchase the favor of God and be united to him again. But it is a fruitful wish. Millions and millions of years will bring me no nearer the end of my torment than one poor hour. He finishes with, oh, eternity. Eternity forever and ever. All the and suffering pangs of hell. This man wished that he could even go to hell for a lot of years to make it up to God that he might leave it. And he realized there's no such thing. He realized he wasn't ready, he wasn't right, he wasn't saved, and he hadn't been trusting in a God who came to redeem the lost. And now he's lost forever. Revelation 20 and verse 10, if you want to look at it with me. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. And let your eye... Just run down that chapter to verse 10. It says, The devil that deceived them were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, Stand before God and the books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell or the grave that is delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and death and the grave or hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I'm afraid these men know their destiny only too well now. Charles IX, there was a king who urged on his mother she gave the order for the massacre of the French Huguenots in which 15,000 souls were martyred for Christ in Paris alone in the St. Bartholomew's Day as massacre. 100,000 French Huguenots were martyred in France. 100,000. And since the event, this is what he said. Asleep, Huguenot, or awake, I see the mangled form of the Huguenots passing before me. They drop with blood, they point at their open wounds, and all that I had spared at least the infants at the bosom. What blood? I know not where I am. How will this end? What shall I do? I am lost forever. I know it. Oh, I have done wrong. And he passes out into eternity. In Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 5, this is what it says. That which hath been is now, and that which is hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. Let me read it again, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 15. 
That which hath been is now. And that which is hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. Let me tell you in a nutshell what this means. King Charles IX in France, who pushed his mother to the sling of the Huguenots, years later, thinking he's passed it, it's out of his memory, it's done and dusted. Surely most people now in France at least would forget about these people and the massacre of the blood of these innocents, especially the infant at the mother's breast. It means here that which has been. That which has been years ago, that which you done years ago and has forgotten about in your mind, you've tried to deal with it and get rid of it. And maybe so many years ago, we said, well, that was then. This is now. That which hath been is now. In other words, in God's mind, it's as though it happened this very second. It's as though it just happened here and now, right this moment. Could have been 10, 15, 20, 50, 60, I don't know, 70, 80 years ago, depending on our age. Could have been when we were very young. And and he says, that which was done then, it's as though it's already done just now. It's as fresh in God's mind. And God will require that of you which is past. Gives the idea Of someone pursuing after you. God is pursuing King Charles IX. And now in his deathbed, God has caught up with him. Death has caught up with him. And that which has been is now, it's all brought to his memory. And God is justified in his judgment against him. the same can be for you. You might say, oh, well then tell me, preacher, please tell me, how do I, how do I get rid of this guilt and how do I get rid of this sin and, and how do I make things right? This is what you do. You repent. You turn to God. You plead the blood of Christ and you go on to follow him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will cleanse you from all sin. And you'll never stand Never stand in the judgment of that again. One more of these and I'll do a few of the seats and then we'll wrap it up. Anton LaVey. Who's ever heard of Anton LaVey? A few, yes. Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey was the author of the Satanic Bible. He was the high priest of the church of Satan. He dedicated his life and tried to dedicate many other lives to the worship of Satan. In one of his more widely known quotes, this is what he said. There is a beast in man that needs to be exercised, not exorcised. There's a beast in man that needs to be exercised, not exorcised. He wanted people to exercise the beast. We have read from Revelation 20. We know where the beast ends up, don't we? We know where the spirit of the beast ends up, in the lake of fire. Listen to his dying words. Oh my. Oh my. What have I done? There is something very wrong. There is something very wrong. And he goes out into eternity without Christ. Out to be with his master. The place prepared for the devil and his angels. Judas Iscariot, when he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, came to the high priest of the temple, casting down the 30 pieces of silver from his wretched, miserable hand. 
cast them down and they reject it from him. And he says, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And he goes out and he hangs himself and goes out into eternity to his own place. I think we should look at how the saint and many of them have passed away from this scene of time. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7, please. Acts chapter 7. This is the martyrdom of our brother Stephen. Verse 59, please. Acts 7, verse 59. Notice on they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Notice that. He's calling upon God and he says, Lord Jesus. No, that's telling me he knew and recognized that the Savior was God. Notice the difference in the very language here. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What a comparison and a vast difference between those who know Christ and who do not know Christ. Who are assured and secure in the salvation of Christ. And those who have went out into eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ. Rocks are beating him around the head. And we're told he falls asleep. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to the Apostle Paul before he goes to the chopping block. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. For I am now ready. Bit of a difference here, isn't it? Compared to the Cardinal Borgia. I've prepared for everything, but I'm not ready. See, you're preparing for everything, people, but are you ready? Ready should Jesus come or call? Ready should Jesus come again or call? And Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Notice what the apostle's saying. The rest of them are squealing and crying, Don't leave me, help me, I'm on the precipice of hell here. Paul says, It's time nearly I was going. My departure's at hand. Our pastor used to say, Pastor McConnell, Paul was in the departure lounge waiting for his flight home. See the difference here? In someone who knows him, who is secure in him, who loves the Lord Jesus. See the difference here with Paul? For I am now ready, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul isn't saying, even like the brother who said to me, oh, pastor, please pray that the Lord would give me even a few more days or a few more months or a bit longer of time. No, here, Paul is saying, listen, I've done my bit. I've done my bit. I've been through it all. And praise God, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Verse 8. Notice he says now. Henceforth. There's a hell for me. No he doesn't say that. Henceforth there's a devil for me. He doesn't say that. Henceforth it's judgment for me. He does not say that. Henceforth there is laid up for me. A crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. Do you love his appearing? Are you waiting for his appearing? 
I'm not waiting for this sort of puff, 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 and all disappearing. I'm looking for him coming. I'm waiting for his appearing. And I love to see his appearing. Listen to Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the Roman Catholic monk who seen the revelation of the word which was denied by Paine, who's Thomas Paine, who said it was not revelatory in the word, but rather uh, it, it would have been more like any other book, the Bible that is. Listen to Martin Luther when he read The Just Shall Live by Faith. And he brought the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Door Cathedral on the 31st of October 1517. And there he nailed them there. Listen, Martin Luther wasn't for leaving the Roman Catholic Church. Do you realize that? He wanted to reform it. He wanted to reform it, but of course they refused it. 10th, 15. Listen to what he said. He died on February the 18th, 1545 at the age of 62. This is his last recorded words. Listen. Oh, my heavenly father, my eternal and everlasting God. (laughs) Isn't that powerful? Compared to the, the sad, tragic, and terrible things we heard at the beginning of this service, of this message, isn't this powerful that a man is looking into eternity and his full heart and trust is in Christ alone that the just shall live by faith and he realizes he's justified by faith alone. Oh my heavenly Father, my eternal and everlasting God, thou hast revealed to me thy Son. I think Martin Luther knew a bit more than Thomas Paine did. Thou hast revealed to me Thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I have preached Him. I have confessed Him. I love Him and I worship Him as my dearest Savior and Redeemer. Him whom the wicked persecute, accuse and blaspheme. Then He says, Into Thy hands I commit my spirit. Into Thy hands I commit my spirit. Into Thy hands I commit my spirit, thou hast redeemed me, O God of truth. And he passes into unconsciousness to die, into the presence of the Savior. You see the difference between a man who knows him and one who doesn't? Philip Melanchthon, the reformer, April the 19th, 1560, age 63, when asked by his son-in-law if he wanted anything. This is on his deathbed. He's asked by his son-in-law if he wanted anything. Listen to his reply. Nothing but heaven. Nothing but heaven. And I have spoke to many a godly believer who loves the Lord and has done for many years, speaking to them in their last days or maybe even hours. And many of them have actually turned to me and said, I just want to go home. I wish he had just come and take me home. Well, this old world will never hold me. In a moment I'll be gone, for I have made my consecration and I have my wedding garments on. (laughs) Hey, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like knowing the Savior. There's nothing to compare to the knowledge of Christ in your life. This isn't a, a Protestant thing. This isn't a Catholic thing. This isn't any other thing. This is a salvation thing. Found in Christ alone. Found in Christ alone. 
Philip Melanchthon, after he said he wanted nothing else but heaven, to those around his bed, they were adjusting the bed clothes around him, straightening them out and maybe plumping up if they could of a pillow. And he asked them this, not to disturb his delightful repose. Do you want anything, Philip? Nothing but heaven. And they start faffing around him. And he says, please, don't disturb my delightful repose. I'm going into glory. I'm ready. I'm saved in Christ. He owns me. He's bought me and I'm his. Augustus Montague Top Lady, who knows who that is? Some, yep, yep, some here. You'll know him by his, one of his hymns. He wrote a quite a number of hymns. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I've preached at his pulpit a few times. Still the old gnarly wood pulpit. I think I told you before about it. I grabbed hold of it. It's a big wooden one. To think that he would have maybe thundered out the gospel from this. The man who wrote Rock of Ages. And I sort of felt it. There's churches just outside, just the other side of the, the houses or the, the buildings of Leicester Square in London. And I used to be asked to go over and preach once a year. Haven't been there since... 2008 and I told them I won't come back because I wouldn't leave my church on a Sunday to preach there had to go all weekend you see Augustus Montague top lady died 1775 at the age I think he's an old man so 35 he was a young man listen to what he said this is his tell you. oh my dear sir I cannot tell you the comforts I feel in my soul. They are past expression, the consolations of God to so unworthy a wretch are so abundant. It's not mighty. He's talking of himself. I'm so unworthy a wretch, but yet his comforts are abundant to me. He goes on. That he leaves me nothing to pray for. But for their continuance. I enjoy a heaven already in my soul. My prayers are all converted to praise. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fantastic? Comfort in my soul. I'm about to go and see the Savior. The comfort in my soul, he says. And he says his prayers. He says, I don't have anything else to pray for. I'm just praising him the whole way into heaven. Jonathan Edwards wrote the famous and preached the famous sermon Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He's done a great work in the United States. And this is what he said. Trust in God and you shall have nothing to fear. Trust in God and you shall have nothing to fear. Are you trusting in God tonight, friend? Are you trusting in him? If you are, you have nothing to fear. If you aren't... You have everything to fear. And lastly, Charles Haddon Spurgeon died at the age of 57 in 1892 on the 31st of January. This is what he said. My theology is very simple. (laughs) He wasn't simple whenever he was in full flight. (laughs) He knew what he believed. But listen to what he says. This is on his deathbed. This is what matters. This is what counted... It was all lined along. This is what matters on that time. He says, my theology is very simple. I can express it in few words. And they are enough to die by. You ready? 
Jesus died for me. That was it. I'll go into eternity with Jesus died for me. How did you get here, Charles Haddon Spurgeon? Did you get here because you're a great preacher? No, not at all. Did you get here because you've done a great work? No, not at all. Did you get here because you were such a good man or a godly man? No, not at all. I'm a wretch. Then how did you get here? Jesus died for me. That's going to be mine. 100 out of 100 of us, 100% of us, we will all stand before him as either judge or saviour. How did you get here, Ken? <laughs> you heard a little bit this morning of where I was saved from. God willing, maybe more next week and what the Lord done for me. How did a wretch like you get here? Jesus died for me. Nothing else. There's nothing else. He died for me. You know what? I feel blessed in my soul already to know that he died for me. Romans 5 and 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. See the word ungodly, it's the word asebus. And it means the ones who were destitute of reverential awe toward God. I had no reverential awe toward God. Nothing toward God. Yet I didn't know that 2,000 years ago or so, Jesus hung and bled and died for me. Oh, the Father knew. I didn't know. Maybe you've come to hear a message like this tonight because the Father knew and you didn't. It's time to get saved. It's time to get right with God. I'll finish with this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10 it says for God hath not appointed us to wrath. That's the believer now. For God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say by anyone or anything. It doesn't say by a church or a creed an institution, a denomination or affiliation or anything else doesn't say when God sees what label you had and what name you had when you grew up or with what foot you kicked with, as you understand, in Northern Ireland and our, our American friends will wonder what I'm talking about. He's not looking at this. He's not wondering about this. He's looking for the blood of his son to obtain salvation through talking about Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us. Talking about the ungodly dying. Talking about the sinner and the saints dying. The last words that they died, they spoke of before they died. Well, I'm going to tell you the last words of Christ before he died. It is finished. It is finished. Just need to come. Just need to come and believe. Repent of your sin and come and believe. Plead the blood of Christ and plead for mercy and forgiveness and you'll receive it and walk with him. So people say to you, you really believe in God, you're mad. Something wrong with you people, you believe in somebody you can't see. Let me tell you something, I may not see him with my natural eye. But do you see in the spirit when I read the word, he's more alive to me than anybody else. Because he goes home with me when you don't. And he goes home with you when I don't go with you. 
Jesus is alive in me. One illustration has me done. So man out walking one day. It's quite windy. And there he sees a young boy in the distance and walking up to him he sees that he has something in his hand and the closer he gets he realizes there's a, a cord going up into heaven but there was low clouds on the hill in which he stood and there was just a cord going into the clouds. The boy's doing this. He says, son, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the wee boy says, I'm flying the kite. I'm flying the kite. And the man turns to the boy and says, but son, you can't see a kite. How do you know there's even a kite there? The wee boy says, because I can feel the tug. Because I can feel the tug. And how do you know Christ is alive? Because I can feel the tug. I can feel the tug. How do you know that Christ draws you if you're not saved? I'll tell you, no, you'll feel the tug. Drawing to Christ. What about you who's wandered away from him? Do you feel the tug? God bless us tonight. May God help us tonight. Encourage us tonight. Tell me to come up, please.